0: Welcome everybody, and a happy Lag Baomer, and whatever is left of it. You know, when it comes to matters of holiness, we always go out on the top, as I say. The holiest moments of Shabbat Kodesh are the last moments of Shabbat. It's called in the Zohar, Riven the Riven. This is the, the final hour of Lag Baomer, of the year Tav A very difficult and challenging year in so many ways. And I'm glad you're joining me. I'm back here in the real base, Medrash. I'm here by myself, but I'm back here, celebrating like Bomer and the restoration of health. And I look forward, Bezrat Hashem, to spending this final hour of such a very holy and auspicious day studying Torah and focusing specifically on one of the unusual customs of Lag Baomer. So, with no further ado, I think most of you already are getting online and joining, joining us here. Let me begin with the following statement. Be it resolved that it is a Jewish custom in Miner Israel to eat colored eggs on Lag Bomer. Well, or so it has been said. So, let's go back to the Sources, at least the sources that I was able to find. So firstly, the, the idea that, 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 that's been spoken of is that it is a minhag, a custom for Hasidim of Chabad and Karlin. That these two Hasidic movements have this custom of eating colored eggs. The earliest source that I could find that talks about Lagba Omer is in Likuti Diburim. Likuti De Burim is a collection of talks of the previous Lubavitch Rebbe. And in one of these talks, he relates a story that he heard from an elder chassid with regard to the celebration of Lagba Omer in the year Tuf Reish Dalad, which would be 1844. So in 1844 the Mittler Rebbe the second Rebbe of Chabad had moved the movement the Chabad movement from Liadi where the Alta Rebbe was to Lubavitch and Lubavitch remained the seat of the movement for uh, nearly a century So when the Rebbe when the Mittler Rebbe moved the Chabad movement to Lubavitch Hence the name Lubavitcher which happened in the year Tovkuf Ayin So in Tovkuf Ayin which is 1814, it says, and I quote: It seems that the Mittel Rebbe is the one who initiates or reinitiates this ancient custom of going out into the field. Which doesn't mean nobody went out into the field. It just means amongst Hasidim or amongst, in Lubavitch, that was not the prevalent custom. I will soon share with you a fascinating detail of a letter authored by the Mittler Rebbe's father, the Alter Rebbe, a decade earlier. But before we get there, before we get to the notion of why and how we celebrate Lag Baomer, I'm talking about Lag Baomer going outdoors. So he says this notion is was, is reinitiated by the middle Rebbe and it becomes Minik Chabad. And how is this done? So he says, and I'm quoting, Ba'arichas kala, by arranging a light meal, a picnic if you will, because they're out in the field. I don't know that they sat on a blanket, but a, a light meal is arranged. Sh'tias mashka. There is the consumption of alcohol and achilas beits in and the consumption or the eating of cooked eggs. So the only thing we know about the menu is the fact that they ate eggs. It seems pretty clear that they didn't wash. And in Hayom Yom the Rebbe says, that Lagba Imer was one of the outstanding festivals in the time of the middle, Rebbe, the second Rebbe. And in Hayom Yom, he notes clearly that they did not wash. So usually a se'udat mitzvah requires washing, washing one's hands for Natil tzadayim, the reciting of Hamotzi, whether it's on a Shabbat meal, whether it's a meal that's enjoyed in honor of a Brit Milah, for example, or a meal that's held in honor of a Pidyan HaBen. These are life cycle events. For a, for a baby which are considered to be a mitzvah whether it's a meal that is cel- a celebration of a bar mitzvah which is also considered to be a Sudat mitzvah or a wedding again a suudat mitzvah a, a meal whose a repast whose consumption is considered to be a mitzvah so then you wash and yet here this is a festive meal to celebrate like BaOmer, an ancient holiday celebrated since antiquity we're talking, go- going back to the first century. And yet, there was no washing. What they served at this picnic, I don't know. And we don't necessarily know that the menu was the same from year to year. It just says a sa'uda But it does pointedly mention Achila's beitzim mevushalas. Not scrambled eggs, not sunny set up, hard-boiled eggs. Hard-boiled eggs were eaten, and there was nigunim, and there was rikudim there was song and there was dancing and then he goes on to say that at some point in this meal or this Fabringen of sorts or towards the end the mitle rebbe would say a and he would ask elder chsidim to relate of their memories of how Lagba Omer was celebrated in years bygone and there would be discussions and interesting stories and, and uh, talks about like Baomer and meaning. So this is very interesting. It's very interesting because we have a clear indication that they, they ate eggs, and it clearly does not say the eggs were colored. It doesn't say that. It simply doesn't. Now in the authoritative book of customs for Chabad Hasidim. So in the entry that speaks about the days of Sefira and Lag Omer, it says, and I quote, By the middle Rebbe, Lag Ba'omer was considered to be an outstanding, an extraordinary, and very, very unique day on the calendar. He would go out into the field, and there would be a light meal, Incidentally, these details are omitted. The details I'm going to share with you are omitted in Hayom Yom. In Hayom Yom, it talks about that there was miracles. And it emphasizes that the miracles were especially with regard to childless couples, being blessed with children. But here in Seferim and Hagim doesn't mention that. But it does mention that it was a light meal. It mentions that there was hard alcohol served. And once again, we hear about achilas, beytzim, Mevushalis. We hear about hard-boiled eggs. Eggs that are cooked. Not scrambled, not sunny side up, but yes, eggs. What else was served? I don't know. Now this is almost verbatim from Likuti Debutim. In a sefer which was published about the end of the city of Lubavitch, the final years of the city of Lubavitch, in which the Yeshiva Teim Mim Lubavitch had been established, called Lubavitch VeChayaleha, that translates literally as Lubavitch and its foot soldiers, it is brought there that the Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Sholem Dovber, this is the fifth Rebbe in the dynasty of Chabad Lubavitch leadership, would also eat eggs on Lag B'Omer. Eggs would be served on Lag B'Omer. It does not say anything about colored eggs. It doesn't. It says, it says eggs. Now it's also interesting to note that it doesn't mention anywhere that the Tzemach Tzedek celebrated Lag B'Omer in this fashion, and it doesn't say that they served eggs. It doesn't say that about the Rebbe Maharash. The fourth Rebbe, Rabbi, Rabbi Shmuel. doesn't say that. It does say it about Rabbi Shalom Dovber. It does say it about the fifth Rebbe. There is no mention of anything like this about the previous Rebbe, about the Friedrich Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, our Rebbe's predecessor. There is no mention of anything like that. But there is a mention in this that the Rebbe Rashab did eat eggs on Lagba Now, this is very interesting because the Rebbe Rashab bore the name of his great-grandfather, of the Mittle and those who are familiar with the style of his teaching and with the content of his profound Hasidic discourses know that there's a very special link between the methodology of the Mittle and the methodology of the Rebbe Rashab. And in fact, that there are large chunks of the Mittle Rebbe's Hasidus, which are almost quoted verbatim in the Maimodim of the Rebbe Rashab, who then goes on to amplify and elucidate them. So, so we have this unique relationship in general as far as the Torah is concerned. And now we see a, a clear link between the customs. A custom of eating eggs on Lag Ba'umer, And I want to emphasize that there is no mention of colored eggs. These are two authoritative sources as, as to what is minhag Chabad. Now in and Hagi Chabad, which is a much, much later publication, a publication that came out after Gimel Thomas, after the Rebbe's passing. There is no, I would say, formal kind of stamp of authenticity that's attached to this. This is a scholar's work who compiled fascinating things from authoritative sources, but the book in and of itself is not necessarily authoritative per se. Generally, everything here is well-sourced. All the sources are authoritative. So it's a collection of authoritative sources. But sometimes the editing is—it's not simple redaction, but things are rewritten. Anyway, so he says, as has been mentioned multiple times, "No gulechel beitzim It was customary to eat eggs on Lagbaymer. Now, as I said, I have only found this with regard to the middle Rebbe and with regard to the Rebbe Ashab. And then he adds, "Al kaved kedushes murziah, with regard to our Rebbe, they tell, they say, That it was his custom to eat eggs which were dyed a brownish color, a brownish-reddish color, a brown color, a shade of brown, and it doesn't give you any more details. Just, just that fact that the Rebbe, it is said that the Rebbe made a point of eating colored eggs. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Garelik, a very prominent rabbi who lives today in Crown Heights, he uh, authored a little missive, a little uh, article about this a number of years ago. And he said that he always heard growing up that the rabbi eats colored eggs on Lag Baimer. But he maintains that there were no sources. He didn't know of anything with certainty. Now, when he married the daughter of one of the rabbi's secretaries, Rabbi Klein, He found out a very interesting story, that a year earlier, Rabbi Binyamin Klein, a.b. Shalom, had called his home, he lived on Eastern Parkway, not far from 770, and he asked if they could please prepare colored eggs. Now I'm guessing that this happened in 1983. So they didn't know how to do this. Rabbi and Klein didn't know how to make colored eggs. So she called her mother, who was a a woman with a, a very deep Hasidic history, and generations of, of, uh, of uh, customs had been passed down. And she said, of course, of course, yeah, we we colored eggs Lag like And um, yeah, you, you cook it with onions, cook it with onion peels, and it comes at a shade of, of brown. Okay, so Mrs. Klein and, and her daughter, who was Rebbe Tzengar, they, they, they cooked the eggs, and the eggs were brought to 770, and apparently the Rebbe ate those, that was served to the Rebbe on Lag Beimer of that year. Now, in in, uh, a recent conversation with a a colleague, he sent me a very interesting uh, little piece, an excerpt of an article that was just printed in the Kfar Chabad magazine. And there, apparently somebody says that he heard from Rabbi Groner, who was a personal attendant and uh, served in the Secretariat of the Rebbe, who just recently passed away. And Rabbi Groner related that one Lagba Omer, the Rebetzin, was for whatever reason incapacitated and was unable to provide the Rebbe's meals. I think she may have been in the hospital then. So she said to Rabbi Groner to please make sure that if they serve eggs, this is again, I I have no sources, I'm not reading from a printed thing really, but the article says if they serve printed uh, eggs to make sure that at least one of those eggs will be dyed, otherwise the Rebbe would not eat the eggs. So. On one hand, there's this the story with Rabbi Klein it seems that the Rebbe was looking for colored eggs. On the other hand, it seems that if there won't be a colored egg, then he won't eat the eggs, but then not all the eggs have to be colored. And of course, we, you know, the obvious question is, where, where does this all come from? But I thought that the, the interesting way to begin tonight was simply to state the facts. Is it true that it's a mini chabad to eat colored eggs? The answer is yes, it is a mini chabad. Well, why? how is it a minik chabad? Well, you need to understand that the Rabbeim of Chabad established what we call the customs the minhagim so whatever the Rebbe did that is minik chabad we are chassidim of the Rebbe and and whatever the Rebbe did yeah that's minik chabad so it is minik chabad it's clear that the previous some of the previous rabbeim ate eggs it is not clear that those eggs were dyed now why might there be an issue this is this is interesting why if you're going to serve eggs make sure one of them is 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 colored so this uh, can be understood according to something that's written in a, a book which is compiled of customs. It's called Mishmed HaShalem. And over there in chapter 38, it says that at the tzien, at the resting site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, which is the epicenter of Lagba Omer celebration, that's uh, what you would call the international headquarters of Lagba Omer joy, some who delay, They rejoiced on his, the day of his passing. A Hilula being the word, the terminology that's used to describe the passing of certain kinds of tzaddikim. The word literally means a wedding, and I will elaborate on this shortly. And therefore, one has to be very careful not to engage in practices that might be interpreted as an act or expression of mourning. Ba'al the and therefore Nohag it is customary Shaloi lechel and the Mishmet HaShalom says don't eat eggs on this day which is so interesting because he have the Mitle Rebbe going out to the field kind of reconstituting this, this ancient custom of going outdoors and making that central to the Minichabad and there's eggs I mean that's all, the only thing we know is that there's eggs the only thing we know that Rabbi Hashab ate is eggs. He may have eaten other things, but the, the eggs are on the menu, as I shared with you from Lakut at the Burim, and it's brought down in the Sefer Minhagi Minhagi Chabad. which Sefer Minhagim is an authoritative publication. He says, you shouldn't eat eggs at all. Then the Mishmar of Shalom says, but look in the book of Minhagi Karlin, the Karlin Chasidim, is a, a, a group of Chasidim that developed, a movement of Chassidists that developed very, very close in close proximity to the Chabad movement. Rabbi Aaron Karliner was a a disciple of the Magad and a cherished friend and peer of the Alter Rebbe. That the custom is to eat eggs whose shade had changed, whose color had changed. And why? It shouldn't be seen as an act of mourning. Now, when you, if you understand the Mishmet Shalom, he's saying that there are many who have a custom not to eat eggs. we just talking about a custom of eating eggs. He says, don't eat eggs. Don't eat eggs. Shouldn't eat eggs. Because eggs are connected to mourning. And in fact, that is the halacha. When a person comes back, mourners come back from the cemetery, come back from the burial, the first meal that they're served, it's a special halachic meal, which is called the Sudas Havara. And the Sudas Havara is comprised of a bagel and a cold, hard-boiled egg. And hard-boiled eggs have, for Jewish people, for millennia, symbolized mourning. And I will soon share with you some interesting sources for that. So he says, don't eat eggs. But in mean, get Karlin, it said, if you're going to eat eggs, make sure the eggs are dyed, because dyed eggs would make them seem different than regular eggs. Nobody dyes eggs when they're giving them to the mourner. So here you went out of your way to make something something special to make the egg more attractive to make it look a little bit different you know to kind of give it like a, a joyous lilt or a, or, or, a, or a different kind of like a, some kind of happy shade attached to it so you're adding colors and the addition of color would detract or mitigate the possibility of this being interpreted as an act of mourning okay so if we are to take the Meshmer shalom at, at uh, face value and we are to take Rabbi Groner's, the story related in the name of Rabbi Groner at face value, it sounds like that's what's happening. The, it like the sounds like the Rebbe is saying, if you're going to serve the Rebbe eggs, make sure at least one of the eggs is colored, otherwise you won't eat those eggs, because the Rebbe would be careful about what the Mishmer Shalom wrote, that they shouldn't do anything which is an expression of mourning. The thing is that Rabbi Klein's story, which is pretty, like, it's pretty direct, I mean, here you have Rabbi Garel, heard this from his, his wife, who was right there at the time, that ever asked, it seems, for colored eggs. And they went and made colored eggs. She did know how to make colored eggs. And she calls her mother and says, oh, yeah, yeah, we know colored eggs, sure. We did that back in the, back in the old country. And here's how to do it. So, so clearly, the old rabbits and Schusterman knew about colored eggs, was used to doing this as a child in the house that she grew up immediately could tell her daughter and granddaughter how to prepare this for the Rebbe. And the Rebbe wanted colored eggs, so it wasn't just a question of, if you're going to eat eggs, make sure the eggs are colored. Which brings us back um, to to the notion that it seems very clear that it was not simply an issue of avoiding a possible interpretation of this might look like mourning, but rather that there was an effort made specifically to eat colored eggs. Now, all of this is very interesting against the backdrop of what we read. This notion that, that um, maybe eggs shouldn't be eaten at all. <laughs> like, like the coloring of the egg somehow allows for eggs to be eaten, but why eat eggs altogether? So the Mishmash Shalom also says, he also alludes to this notion that <laughs> he says there may be some other reason attached to this. He doesn't elaborate. He doesn't elaborate. There may be a reason to eat eggs. The Mishmet Shalom, 19th century important book of custom and, and, and rule, you know, Jewish custom and convention. Mishmet Shalom says that in his opinion, <laughs> since there's a question of eggs possibly being interpreted as expression of mourning, and since there is this, this idea of maybe you should eat eggs, the eggs are somehow related to Lag But we don't know. But you know, you have you have a problem here. Some say yes, some say no. So what should you do? Just leave it. Stand 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 down, as they say. That's what the mishmer shalom leaves it. So in summation, it's pretty clear that the Rebbe ate colored eggs. It's pretty clear that there's a custom of eating colored eggs. It seems that the minhag karlin, the custom is, if you eat colored egg, if you eat eggs, you make sure they're colored. However. Others maintain that no, it is a minigan and eat colored eggs and we are certain, it seems, that the Rebbe made a point of eating colored eggs on Lagba Omer. So I think there are three things that we'd like to try to figure out tonight. Thing number one, when you tell the average person about colored eggs, they're not thinking Lagba like Omer, they're thinking a spring festival that is celebrated by a very different faith system around the time we do Pesach. And there's a business with eggs and then eggs that are Faberge eggs. And lest you think that they're not really related or different kinds of eggs, I did do some research and it's very clear, according to Dr. Google, that in that part of Russia, they would dye the eggs by boiling them with onions. Different color onions and onions. So it's not as if it was a different methodology, same exact methodology. And the question is, is it possible that we took it from chas v'shalom, from a different faith system? So that's, that's point, number, point number one we're going to deal with now, today. Another point we're going to deal with this evening is, so once we've debunked that myth and proven that it in fact is a Jewish thing, and I'm even going to prove to you that it has a connection to Lag Bomer, the obvious question was, okay, what, what in heaven is the connection? And why, and why would we dye these eggs? And lastly, so what should we do? So what should we do? Is it, is it better to stand down? Or is it in fact better, is there, is there a scene clearly that our customers we should make a point of eating these colored eggs. So let's talk about point number one. Point number one is this, this, this supposition, wrong-headed, extremely wrong-headed supposition, that the eggs eaten on Lag Baomer are somehow related to eggs eaten by a different faith system in the month of April. So besides the fact that there is an egg at the Pesach Seder, and if Chas V'Shalom we would be borrowing from somebody else's ideas, uh, the egg at the Pesach Seder probably would have been painted. But it isn't. And, and, it, and it's in fact, that is the widespread custom. Every Jewish home has eggs at the Seder plate. Like Bomer's custom is not very well known. So the notion that we would have adopted this custom or in, inducted the custom does not seem reasonable. Furthermore, The notion of egg painting definitely has Jewish origins and it goes back thousands of years and it goes back to places that have never ever had a presence of the particular faith system that colors eggs in April and to a community that we know has traditions that date back to the first Beit HaMikdash. In fact, it is said that their traditions are the most authentic traditions in an unbroken way and their life really has not been modified. It wasn't changed until very recently. And I refer here specifically to the Yemenite community. The Yemeni Jews are Jews who have been living there since the time of the first Beit HaMikdash. The Yemeni Jews have their own customs, which are literally the mirror image of things that were done in the times of the first Beit Migdash, including this idea that when the Torah is read, they have in the Turgeman they actually have somebody reading the next verse, the, the verse that was just read in Hebrew in Aramaic. No communities continue to do this, with the exception of the Yemeni community. And there are many, many customs. Those who are familiar with the Yemeni Jews, the Jews of, of Yemen or Taiman, can do the. You know, it, 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 you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Do a little bit of research. You find that their customs are very, very ancient. Their pronunciation of Hebrew is largely considered to be the most accurate although we're not we're not sure if anybody pronounces everything fully accurately their pronunciation is most accurate it is different than the other Sephardic Jews not like the Jews the Jewish communities of Syria or Egypt or Lebanon or Iraq or even Iran very different pronunciation the Yemeni Jews have their own style of pronunciation they have their own style of Matzah and many other things so in the Yemeni Jewish community it was customary to paint eggs to celebrate Purim. They would decorate these eggs and they would share these eggs on Purim in Mishloch Manot. And it seems there was also a custom of rolling eggs. And somehow, you know, the broken egg is the Humpty Dumpty represents Haman. A similar custom is also found in the now extinct Jewish communities, which were once actually a, a very prominent community of Jewish people living in Afghanistan. They also had such a custom. So it's, it's, it's not only unlikely, it is just about impossible to suggest that the Yemeni Jews adopted that custom Is a statistic zero, that they adopt that custom from another faith system. And they're pointedly painting eggs. And yes, Purim sometimes comes exactly at the time when other faith systems may be celebrating this notion of, of painted eggs or hunting hunts and so on and so forth. A little bit of research that I did seems to indicate that this Purim custom dates back, of course, to Purim 26 centuries ago, but more interestingly, it dates back to to, uh, its origins are in the areas of Persia. And that the notion of egg painting is not unique to a particular faith system that is only 2,000 years old, but rather it is a pagan custom that was adopted but the earliest evidence of this pagan custom is in Persia and approximately at the time of Purim. And because of this, because of this, I would like to theorize that Jewish communities stopped having painted eggs in baskets, which is how Mishloach Manot is, is done. Right? We have little baskets which are decorated. I, I gave a, a very interesting class about this. And the different customs and conventions, and I, I urge you, if this piques your curiosity, to go back and watch it. It's about the idea of the decorated little little baskets. Why are we decorating them? And it's Jewish custom. Everybody decorates these baskets. It's just, if it's food, just give the food. <laughs> Who cares about the packaging? But there's a tremendous emphasis on the packaging. And a tremendous emphasis on making it look appealing and something that makes people happy. Something that brings people joy. Like, it's, like, it's, like a, it was a, it's a gift-giving element, not simply food. Although the food has to be edible and not require cooking or roasting or baking. So if you give, if you give dough, you didn't fulfill the mitzvah. And yet there's an element of making it, making it uh, what we would call in Yiddish frelach, making it look happy, making it, making it look joyous, making it creating a certain kind of atmosphere. It does seem that the Jewish do is a very, very common custom where Jewish people gave Mishloach Manot, specifically putting colored eggs in baskets, and this may have been discontinued. It may have been discontinued because another faith system borrowed the idea of colored eggs in baskets, and as such, it didn't seem some, like something the Jewish people wanted to do. There are multiple examples of this. There was a customs and conventions class that I gave last year on the idea of decorating the synagogue for the festival of Shavuot with branches and with flowers. And this is a custom which is a very ancient custom. And if you listen to the class, I give you the sources. And yet we see that the Jewish communities living in an area where another faith system had adopted this custom in a very strong way, actually relinquished it. And the Rebbe once actually said they should take the trees down. There was trees placed like in the 1960 or something, early 60s. The Rebbe Salman Zalos so, Jewish people have always been careful not to try to mimic the customs or imitate the customs of other faith systems. That's, that's not our thing. And even if there was a custom that started out as being Jewish, which was taken by somebody else, we have copious evidence of Jewish people pushing that. So, the idea of painted eggs, A, is Jewish. B, painted eggs. Now, I'm talking about all kinds of shades and colors and designs think Fabergé eggs, but like, you know, designs and painting and writing on eggs. This is something that seems to have been a Purim custom, and the community that maintained it is the community that did not have any adherence of that other faith system living in their midst. So they kept doing it, and they're still doing it today. Lagba Omer never, never falls in April. Sometimes Purim does. In fact, there's often times in the calendar where Purim coincides directly, especially if it's a leap year, directly with that holiday. But Lagba Omer never does. Not in a leap year, not in a non-leap year. And there's nothing to do with baskets. And there's nothing to do with the eggs being painted a particular way. Which leads me to the conclusion that the Lagba Omer eggs cannot, cannot be a derivative of another faith system celebration on the contrary, that's something that was relinquished, an originally Jewish idea that was relinquished from Purim. Now, there is a source linking eggs to Lag Baomer. There is an island off Tunisia, and it's called Jerba. And this is a very, very interesting Jewish community. Almost everybody in the community is a Kohen. They don't have a lot of Kohanim. They have almost only Kohenim. And everybody there is related. And the island of Jerba is a very ancient Jewish community, which was founded by a group of Kohanim, temple priests, who did not get along with the Beit HaMikdash's administration and actually ran away. And there's interesting details of this history. It is said that that, this may be dating back to the time of the first Beit HaMikdash and that Ezra, the scribe, was very disappointed with this community of Kohanim who refused to come back for the second Beit HaMikdash. At any rate, they have very ancient customs. And, and they, they do celebrate like Bomer, very joyously, I might add. And they have a custom of inscribing an egg with one's name and placing it on a stone, which is said to be from the first base of Migdash, or rolling it into this area. And that they said this is like a kvittel, like, you know, people putting the a paper in the kotel, writing their names on it, that this idea of using this egg, and in fact, my wife just pointed out to me, there's a, there's a publication uh, in, the, in the Orthodox Jewish world, one of these publications of these magazines called the Yami Magazine, and they had an article just this Shabbat on Lagba Omer and Jerba. And the writer of the article uh, is, a, is a woman, I believe she's a rabbi, and she, she writes that, she actually describes this, this custom. And, and she says that the chief rabbi of Jerba does not know the answer, does not un- know where this custom comes from but that it's been effective and this is their minhag. So that's the earliest inkling we see of eggs being linked specifically to the concept of Lag egg. There is an an egg, here's an egg custom. I should point out that the idea of writing on eggs is something which, and I'm talking not on the shell of the egg, but actually writing on the egg itself, is something which we find in a very famous tradition, which is initially documented I believe in the 14th or 15th century by Rabbi, Rabbi Simcha of Vitri, a Talmud, a disciple of Rashi. And there he describes how a young boy is brought into cheder the first time. It's called hachnos ala And when he describes hachnos ala cheder, he says that in addition to putting little droplets of honey on, 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 the, on the little boy's new siddur, from which he'll be reading the olive bays, and licking the honey off to teach him that the letters are sweet, that it is also customary to inscribe certain verses from the Torah on a honey cake and on an egg. And then get, get the child to eat the egg. I gotta tell you, it's not fun writing this sukkim <laughs> on the egg. And um, not all the kids wanted to eat it, it little, looked a little spooky to them, this egg full of writing. But this is a custom, a minigis roll. So there is a minigis that dates back to the medieval times in Alsace-Lorraine, in, in France and, and in Germany, going back to Simcha-Vitri, of writing on eggs. And there is this custom in, in Jerba of celebrating Lagba-Omer by writing a pidgin, or kvittel, if you will, a prayer on an egg, similar to the idea that's very familiar of placing these papers in the crevice of the kotel and, and, um, and asking Hashem for blessings. So that there's an, a Lagba-Omer connection to eggs. That's clear. It's clear that the idea of the Lagba-Omer eggs have nothing to do with uh, uh, another faith system. It is not borrowed by, uh, from another culture or civilization. Quite the contrary, it's the other way around. In all likelihood, that was borrowed from us. But that was Purim eggs. Those are Purim-colored eggs. Which brings us back to the lagba eggs and say, okay, so what are we trying to do with eggs on Lagba-Omer? How, how, do, how do eggs even get to Lagba-Omer? So, the first thing I would, the next thing I would like to do is try to take a, a hard look at Lagba Omer and ask ourselves what might be the cause? What, what, what might be the cause of this custom? Why might people eat eggs? Or why might people make a point of coloring eggs to honor Lagba Omer? So, let's put eggs aside for a minute. Let's talk about Lagba Omer itself. The earliest mention of Lagba Omer is found in the, a book of sermons that was authored by a 12th-century preacher whose name was Rabbi Yehoshua Ibn Shu'ab. And in his drasha for Yom Aleph the Pesach, for the first day of Pesach, he speaks about the notion of theomer, the Omer, the of days, and the morning that's attached to it. And he alludes to this idea that on, on Lagba Omer on the 33rd day of the Omer, despite the fact that we have mourning associated with the Omer days, that on the 33rd day, there's some simcha, there's some joy that's attached to it. Doesn't, it doesn't show up in, the, in, the, in a framework of halacha. It's not like a, something somebody's supposed to do. It's just the earliest documented source where Lag Omer is actually mentioned. Because although we believe the events of Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yichai's passing to have happened on Lag Baomer as is stated clearly in the Zohar, it doesn't finger the 18th of year. It doesn't say the 18th of year. It doesn't say this. It doesn't, it doesn't say he passed on that day. And there are no customs, per se, of celebrating Lag Baomer prior to these preachings, this teaching of Rabbi Yeshua Ibn Shu'ab. He quotes it in the name of other medieval scholars of Tosifus without mentioning names but it comes from Tosephus that's the earliest source in the, in the about a century later in the 14th century so he, he passes in the mid-13th century uh, a sage was born in the mid-13th and passed in the mid-14th century who was the forerunner of at least Ashkenazic halacha was Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Moshe Mulin known as Maharil so Maharil or Menhogi Maharil are uh, the source the authoritative source of minhugim, of the customs, the halachic customs and conventions of the Ashkenazic Jews. The Shulchan Aruch, which we'll talk about in a moment, is written by a Sephardic sage who lives in the city of Tzfat. And at the same time that he wrote his code of Jewish law, a very, very great scholar living in Poland, Rabbeinu Moshe Iserlin, or Iserlish, also unbeknownst to one another, was doing the same kind of thing. They were both writing a shulchan aruch using the system that had been built by the, by the Tur, Rabbeinu Yankev Balat Tur. And then the shulchan aruch appears in print and Rabbeinu Moshe sees it. And now he has a very faithful decision to make. If he prints his own shulchan aruch, the Jewish people are forever divided. The Sephardic Jews have their shulchan aruch, the Ashkenazic Jews have their shulchan aruch. There is no authoritative code of Jewish law. So he does something remarkable. Instead of printing his work, he simply annotates the work of Rabbeinu Yosef Karo by adding glosses. Rabbeinu Yosef Karo called his work a Shulchan Aruch, so he called his glosses the Mapa. He said, I add a tablecloth, a table mat. And the Ramah, as he is known, the Ramah who was the Rav and Kuruka, which at that time was the most important Jewish community in Poland and people could argue, really, in Europe, that Amor quotes many, many things from the writings of Rabbeinu Yankev Mulin, the Maharil. So the Maharil, in his Dine Hayomim Shabbin Pesach Leshavuos, in rules and laws between Passover and the Festival of, uh, uh, the festival of Shavuot, in the seventh section, says, Lag Baomer Olam Hu Yud Ches the 33rd day of the Omer, always will fall on the 18th day of the year. Now, this is a a meaningful statement because when the Jewish calendar was dynamic, you couldn't necessarily know when the 33rd day of the Omer would fall. And that's because the month of Nisan could either be 30 days long or it could be 29 days long. We didn't have a fixed calendar. But it's only with Hillel the Minor, when he sets in motion that calendar, some 17 centuries ago, that now we know exactly how many days the month of Nisan is going to be. It's going to be 30 days always. We know that Iyar is always going to have 29 days. So we know that the 18th day of Iyar will always be the 33rd day of the Omer. So Lag and Chai, that's your two numbers. 33 of the Omer, 18 of the month of Iyar. And Rabbeinu Yankev says, U ein In the morning services, we do not recite the Tachnon prayer. However, it's interesting to note in the glosses here it says that in Magensia and in Worms, they did say Tachnon in the 14th century at least. And Rebe Noyankiv, as he's known as Mahari Segal, because he was a very famous levy from Skam he says, even though the Gemara says that the disciples of Rebbe Kiva died in a tragic and catastrophic event for the Jewish people in which the vast overwhelming majority of their rabbis simply were lost in the course of a few short weeks and this happened between pesach and between shavuot so he says nonetheless osim beyom lag baomer yom simcha he says we do make lag omer a day of joy in other words all the days of the omer are days which are twinged with sadness but the 33rd day of the omer we make it into a day of joy why do we make it into a day of joy because they only died for 33 days. And he makes a very interesting calculation here of how how he figured out 33 days. But he doesn't even seem to indicate that something actually happened on Lagbomer, but because they only died for for 32 days, so the 33rd, because they died for 32 days, the 33rd is automatically going to be a time of respite. And we don't know when that 33rd day was, but he says the 33rd day, when these 32 days died we're going to assume that it was from the beginning of the sphere even though he clearly says that that's not the case because he says he didn't die on Pesach so he says we make a a memory of the simcha I don't want to go into the calculation that he makes it's a very very difficult calculation there's much to be said about this in the the codes of the levush and in in the subsections of the levush perhaps a different year we'll talk about that but the Maharil says two things. Number one, shachras, we don't say Tachnun. Number one, he says. And number two, he says, oisin simcha. We make it a day of joy. Make it a day of joy. In many versions of the Maharil, it says, umishte, simcha Umishta. Joy and one of, involving a party. Seems to be food involved here as well. So food which is joyous. Now the thing is that in the Shulchan Aruch itself, Rabbeinu Yosef Karo does not mention a word about Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer does not show up. In fact, in the Tur, which is the forerunner of the Shulchan Aruch, the original system of four sections, and divided up in so many and so many chapters, so the Simon is Tuftsade Gimel. 493 and the tour, the balaturim mentions nothing about lagbomer no mention of lagbomer in the commentaries is mention of lagbomer that yes what is mentioned i shouldn't say no mention of lagbomer there's no mention of joy on lagbomer what's mentioned is the prohibition of cutting ones hair and then there are those who do cut ones hair on lagbomer so you say it's a bit not cutting hair or cutting hair. Not about joy, or, but about the lack of mourning. Lack of mourning. That's all we get from the Rebbeinu, Rebbeinu Balaturim. And in the Bet Yosef's commentary, we do not hear something about joy. It doesn't say about joy. He discusses this idea of 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 should you take a haircut, shouldn't you take a haircut, is it okay, is it not okay? In other words, must we mourn on this day or are we exempt from mourning on this day? That is the question. That is the question. Must we mourn? And the Shukunar seems to say, no, you don't have to mourn. The customs of mourning do not apply. Nothing about joy. The dark emotion, which is written by the Ramah as a commentary, an an, an, an appendix to the Balaturim, he says... The widely accepted custom is that we do take a haircut on the 33rd day. And the Daka Misha says then, he adds five very interesting words. Five interesting words because it doesn't show up in the Torah. And the Beit Yosef doesn't speak about this. But he says, Umar bin Bo Mishta vsimcha. Not only do we not. Necessarily, observe mourning, but we add there is an addition, the word marbe means we try to add comes from the word harbe a lot, but you know, to add a little is also a lot it says we add in mishte v'simcha it's almost like a contradiction, but not really because this is terminology which we're, we're familiar with he uses the same terminology when we talks about the day of Purim, the 14th day of Adar when it's a leap year so the first month is not observed, and it says marbim You add a little. Add a little. So the word the root word marbim comes from harbay or a lot, but it doesn't have to mean a lot. It can mean add. If you're adding more than was there yesterday, so marbim Now he says mishta and is mishta And says, maril. And that's what the Maril writes. So the Darkimesha then becomes the, the first authoritative source in, in halachic terms that says that we, we try to add a little bit of mishta as simcha and this, this halacha this p'sak is based on the p'sak of the maharil who says b'yayim lag oisin lag simcha but doesn't tell you how to do it he just says you make a day of joy should you stand on your head should you get a clown to, I don't, it doesn't say it doesn't say the ad prayers doesn't say it doesn't say what you do the Dhaka Moshe actually is the first one to tell you what to do. Mar bimboi mishtev Have a meal. It's going to be a meal. So it's going to be a meal. They're going to, it's going to be a joyous meal. A joyous get-together. Family get-together. Communal get-together. A joyous meal. A joyous get-together. In Shulchan Aruch, in the same chapter, once again we have halachas that deal with haircuts and not cutting one's hair and that that should be observed observed in the first 32 days of the Omer, but not on the 33rd day. The Ramah, in his glosses adds, Umar He says, We don't wait till the 34th day, as the Shokhanarach rules, but instead, We do believe that we take a haircut on the 33rd day. And then he says, "Umarbim um boy ktsas simcha." That Rama seems to have amended his position. In his earlier commentary, he uses the words "Umarbim um boy mishtev simcha ktsas." You make mishte and simcha, but here he doesn't say Mishte simcha ktsas. He says, "Umarbim um boy ktsas simcha." We add a little bit of joy, a little bit of joy. And it doesn't, it doesn't really elaborate on what that joy might look like. Now, I mentioned to you earlier that in the Maharil, there seems to be two versions. The printed version that we have today has, in most, in most of the versions, has Yom Simcha. But many of the manuscripts are Yom Simcha and Mishta. So maybe, I don't know, I'm just theorizing, maybe the, the Ramaz originally, the way he saw his original version of Maharil, he saw Mishta v'Simcha, Simcha. And then he saw other versions where Maharil, where the word Mishta, feast, is missing. So he left the word feast out and he said the custom is marbimbai ktas simcha. And here he puts you add a little bit of joy, whereas in the Darkimisha he says, Marbim bai simcha ktas. He puts the word little on the end. Here he makes it almost like he he minimizes it. He says, a little joy. Don't add joy a little bit, add a little bit of joy. Because that's the difference if the ktas is the beginning or the end. And he says you don't say tachn. So now we have these, these sources, a clear source in Shulchan Aruch, and it says this has to do with the disciples of Rabbi Kiva who, who died and who stopped dying. But really and truly, this does not warrant special customs of joy. And, okay, so we add a little joy. We were mourning before, and now we add a little bit of joy. But it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't say to you that, that this is a day which is rife with customs and, and doing special things. Where would that even come from? As the Rebbe puts it, all of the reasons that we have talked about are essentially about miniat ha'aveilut. It's about minimizing what we would call the concept of mourning. But not the idea of adding necessarily and making a, a, a joyous day. Certainly not the, this is not the B'Omer we know about. B'Omer we know about is a big deal. So where does that all come from? Resha, can I try to get me Alta Rebbe Shochunaruch? Alta Rebbe Shochunaruch, Chelek Gimel. It's right over there in the bookshelf. I'm not violating social distancing. <laughs> My son, who lives with me under the same roof, has accompanied me here to the base Medosh. Thank you, Resha. Very interestingly, the Alta Rebbe himself who I'll soon share with you something he wrote about Lag Ba'imer. In Simon Tov Tzad de Gimel, the Alter Rebbe says in chapter 493, subsection 5, he speaks about these days of Sfira and how they're related to mourning. And the Rebbe says because the disciples of Rebbe Kiva, 24,000 strong who tragically passed, stopped dying, we have a, we add a little, we're slightly accustomed, slightly accustomed to add joy. It's so interesting how all of the sources use the term, add, and a little, and none of them are the same. None of them actually place the word in the same way. Dalte puts the word ktsas in the front. In the front, which is not like it says in the Dark Emesha, but more according to what he says in the Ramah. But Dalte Rebbe even emphasizes it even more. He puts the word ktsas first. Even in the Ramah it says, Umarbim, which means adding. marbim Bil k'tas. says, Noegim ktsas laharbeis. Which almost sounds like some have the custom of adding a little bit of joy, but it's generally understood to be that we add a little bit of joy. So the Alter Rebbe doesn't seem to make a big deal out of this day. It's not, it's not a day which is, in halacha, a day of great notoriety. And yet, and yet, here I want to quote a letter of the Alter Rebbe himself that's written to the community of Hasidim who are living in the town of Vitebsk, which was a very, very prominent town in White Russia at the time. And it seems that this was a group of Chassidim who suffered very much from some of the other members in the community and they were being persecuted for the Hasidic teachings and practices without going into details. And al really, he, he tries to comfort these, these Hasidim. And, he's, and he speaks about this, um, people saying terrible things about them and undermining them and he, he comforts them and, and he gives them inspiration. And then he says in this letter, the Elozeis, notwithstanding all of this that's going on, Sisu Rejoice in Hashem B'chol efesh With your entire heart and soul Velases your mishte v'simcha Rebbe doesn't say in The word mishte Mishte says in the dark in Meisha, the, the Ramah removes that The Alter Rebbe is the one Even more than the Ramah says ktzas And yet here he's writing a letter to his Hasidim And he says Sisu v'simchu ba'ashem. Rejoice before God with all your heart. Excuse me, with all your heart and soul. And he says, that's one thing. You should be rejoicing before God. And Ola says, make it a day of feasting, a day of rejoicing. On the 18th day of the year, that is about to come, and he says, mentions nothing about Tamil the Rebbe Kiva. Does not speak about the idea of mitigating mourning, but emphasizes this is the Hilula of Rabbi Shimon B'Yachai. We are able to drink a drop of a, of a drop, he says, of his teachings. And therefore, we should praise and sing songs of thanksgiving, of praiseful thanksgiving to Hashem from the book of Tehillim. And he identifies Psalm 145 particularly and he says and like that, but he says, Don't you know don't, don't drink too much. <laughs> he says, <laughs> I'm not telling you to, to abuse, be, uh, abuse alcohol, but be but be very, very happy. So the question, where does this come from? Now I want to make it very, very clear. It is inconceivable that eating colored eggs should be a way in which we mitigate mourning, making a point of mitigating mourning. Like the whole notion of customs doesn't apply. It's a question, do you get a haircut or don't get a haircut? Make a little joy. Make a little joy, add a little joy. doesn't mean you have to have special customs. Nobody talks about special customs. Now with regard to Lagba Omer, the Rebbe says very clearly in a letter that he authored on Pesach Sheni in the year 1951, and this is also brought in a number of places in the rubric of Lakut HaSichas, the edited talks of the Rebbe, the Rebbe says there in a footnote, he quotes this letter, There are many reasons that are given for the festivities associated with Lag BaOmer. And he says, We only follow the writings of, that which is brought in the writings of the Arizal, Umuva bedivere Chaim, and these very ideas are brought also in the discourses of Chasidus. Asha yoim zeh, that this day is yoim mistal kusei, Bishimon ben Yochoi, this is the day of passing of the great tzaddik, the author of the Zohar, Rabbi Shimon, the son of Yochoi, and therefore it is known as Hilula, the Rashbi, the wedding of Rashbi, so where does this come in, 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 in the writings of the Arizal? Reb Chaim Vital does not mention it. In the, in, the, in the vast majority of the Arizal's writings, there is no allusion to this whatsoever. However, there was an Italian sage who lived in the 15th century. 15th century, 15th, 16th. And he makes Aliyah, he emigrates to Israel. and He moves to Tzfat. And there he becomes an ardent follower of Lurianic teaching. He's a very, very uh, prolific individual, written a number of important works. And after he left Israel because of a plague, and he ended up being captured 40 days, it's a whole story, but he, he was eventually ransomed, he and his family, and he ends up back in Italy. And there, subsequent to that story, af- after having left Tzfat and the rarefied atmosphere of that very special city, which was so heavily saturated with the teachings of the Arizal, Liriana Kabbalah, he writes a very important volume, which is called Mishnas Hasidim, the teachings of Hasidim. And there in the Mesechet Iyar, in the first chapter, in the, in, the, in the sixth Mishnah, he writes, It is a mitzvah, he says not one of the 613 mitzvahs, but it's, it's, a, it's a sacred duty for us to rejoice in what is known as Hilulu Adirajbi. Now, the Alter Rebbe actually um, quotes this. And he says that the Mishnas Hasidim is not giving you his own ideas here. All he did was redact without coloring or changing the writings of the Arizal. So it's an authoritative volume of teachings of the Arizal, a redaction of teachings of the Arizal. There you go. Now in Prietz Chaim, which is also Lurianic Kabbalah, that we see, Sha'al pizem gamken in the Rebbe says, this emphasizes the idea of joy, v'leirak not only avoiding mourning, and the reason is Simcha Rashbi. Now the Rebbe notes that in the Shaila Setshuva's Divin Nechemyah, the words of the Alta Rebbe are quoted, in, in, as well as a discourse of the Alta Rebbe, Lahov Inyan, Lagba Sorry about that, we were interrupted with a phone call. So the Rebbe writes um, with regard to the the celebration of Lagba Omer, that this is directly linked to the teachings of the Arizal. And he he quotes the Divri Nechemia, who writes, It has already been widely disseminated in the whole world. So the notion of Agba Omer, has everything to do with Hilula de Rajbi. And The Rebbe says that even Alpinigla, even from an exoteric perspective, from a halachic perspective, there are those who question how do we have joy on a site on, on a Hilula, because after all, the passing of a tzaddik is, is, a, is, a, is a very difficult thing. And on the passing of a tzaddik, it's a time to fast. And that's in, in fact how the passing of Moshe Rabbeinu is observed, even though that very same day is also his birthday, and the day is also filled with tremendous mazal, and that's the origin, according to the Talmud of Masechet Megillah, of the miracle of Purim. But nonetheless, it's observed as a fast day. So the Rebbe says, Lag B'Yimur would be different. Why? Because Abishimim bar Yochai instructed that the last day of his life be celebrated, not mourned. And based on what the famous Rishon, Rabbeinu Yeruchim, writes, and the Sifsi Koonym, the shach, brings this halacha in Yeerdea, in chapter 344, that when a person like that asks or instructs us, that we must follow his instructions. So there's not really a question, Alpinigla. It's not a question how it could be done. It could be done because Rashbi instructed us. But from a mystical perspective, this is a day of tremendous joy, a day of tremendous profundity, a day of tremendous elevation. What is Lag Bomer really about? What is this all about? The truth is it's it's not it's not fair to you. We're an hour into this already. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be talking about I'm supposed to be talking about uh, about colored eggs and, and I I focused excessively on, on Bomer now because I, I think you need to have a backing and appreciation and understanding. This has to have something to do with Bar Yerkai. This is not about simply the mitigation of mourning because of the passing of Talmidi Rebbe kiva so, lo- what exactly Lag Ba'omer is and, and why we celebrate it with such fervor, I, I, I encourage you to watch one of the, the customs and conventions that I gave um, a number of years ago about the bonfires. Why do we light bonfires? And what that's, it's about some of what I spoke about tonight is mentioned in that class as well, but over there I talk about what the joy of the simcha of Reb Shemur by Achai is and why it is celebrated in the way it's celebrated. But let's get to the eggs. So, I want to establish... The notion of eggs being eaten as an act of mourning, that's, that's a halacha. But I want to establish this as something which actually weaves its way in a very delicately into the fabric of Jewish life without an overt expression of mourning. A, subtle, a subtlety in Jewish life. And here is some very interesting details about the eating of eggs that's customary in the Jewish world but you wouldn't think of it in terms of mourning. In the Sefer, Knesset HaGadogluh, it states that it is a custom, a mini Gisrael, to eat eggs on Shabbos. And there are many, many communities that emphasize eggs and onions. That's a big thing. But anyway, there's this business of eating cooked or hard-boiled eggs. And the hard-boiled eggs in many communities, especially the Sephardic communities, end up in the Cholent, or what they call Dafina, in the food which is left on the fire for the duration of Friday night into Shabbos morning so that hot food can be eaten on Shabbos so we should be able to delight in Shabbos. And if this is of interest to you, there is a fascinating class, I think it's fascinating, on customs and conventions on Cholent. And I encourage you to watch that. and You'll find out how and why Cholent is really, eating hot food on Shabbos is so important. But there's a mini Israel to make sure that we eat the eggs. And the Sefer Knesset, saw, says, that it should be left in the chullen, so it becomes hard-boiled and colored over the course of its sitting in the couscous or the, 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 the beans and the potatoes and the meat that is placed in, in a, in a, or sealed away in, a, in, a, in an oven for the duration of the first part of Shabbat so that Shabbat lunch can be enjoyed with hot food. And he states that the reason we do this, and he emphasizes in the chalant an, a whole egg, not egg salad, a whole egg, an egg with its peel, the egg with its shell, that it has to be later peeled. He said this is because, this is an allusion to the morning of the passing of Moshe Rabbeinu. For Moshe Rabbeinu passed, Moses passed on Shabbat, and he says that this is a mini Yisrael, and the Knesset Hagdela says the V'nochenhu It is a correct minhag which is rather shocking because because <laughs> essentially we're hearing mourning on Shabbos and you're not allowed to mourn Even a person who lost a loved one does not overtly display any mourning when they're sitting Shiva on Shabbat The Kafa Chaim the great 19th century Sephardic chief rabbi of Baghdad Sephardic halachist says he writes minig yisrael lechel b'sabbat it is a minig on Shabbat to eat eggs and he says the reason for this the reason for this he says because we want to have hot food on Shabbos and the hot food on Shabbos is going to be sitting for a long time and therefore if the eggs will be inside it the eggs come out hot too and he says that uh, it is appropriate to try to eat eggs even at Sudash Lishit and the Kafa Chaim says this is mepne Evloi Shel Moshe. This is because we are marking with a twinge of maybe even sadness or mourning, but marking the passing of Moshe Rabbeinu. In a, in a book which is a collection of Hasidic aphorisms and teachings, the claim is made, the book is called Siach Zakenim, The Conversation of Elders. The claim is made that the outstanding disciple of the Baal Shem Rabbi Pinchas of Kurutz, he once or many times said, if you would know the mystery, the secret behind eating eggs on Shabbos, you would spend an enormous amount of money for the eggs. In his terminology, he would said you would give a rendel. I guess, uh, like a... Like a a dollar, but like a dollar or a ruble in the 18th century. Now here's something else which I found. In the drashas of the chassam sofer, he quotes the grandfather of the Chida, who was also a very, very famous sage, not nearly uh, somebody who wrote as copiously or as prolifically as the chidah, that like almost 40 Svarim, but he wrote a sefer called Chesed L'Avram. Rabbi Avram Avzulay. Rabbi Avram Avzulay says something very interesting. He says, during exilic times, it would not be appropriate for us to drink wine or eat meat. Ever. Because we're in Galut. But he says, by eating an egg at the Shabbat meal, this becomes in effect a zecher lechurban, we commemorate or remember the idea of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And as long as we have that token remembrance of destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, b'achilas It becomes permissible for us to eat meat and wine. And the Khatam Sofer finishes off by saying, it seems to me that the notion of eating eggs in the afternoon of Shabbat would be in order to perhaps permit us to enjoy the rest of the Shabbat meal. So really what I've shared with you, my friends, is multiple sources from Sephardic and Ashkenazic uh, writings that indicate that eating an egg during a time when mourning is prohibited could be used to demonstrate something, kind of to send a message. It's not actually an act of mourning, but it's used to demonstrate something. This idea is found in multiple places. There's a sefer called Divrit Hadikim It's brought over there as well. And in the same sefer, Chesed Lahavram, of Rabbi Avram Azule, the Chida's grandfather, which is quoted by the Khatam Sofer earlier, something else there is found. He says, even in days when we don't say, tahnun, that's like Boomer, a day when we don't say penitential prayers, which are called days of joy, when it's permissible, he says, for us to drink wine and to rejoice. But in our time of galut, in our exilic time when the Beit HaMiklis is destroyed, it would be appropriate for us not to rejoice, ever. And so, the eating of an egg, he says, is a zeichel churban. And so he indicates that the eating of an egg somehow mitigates whatever negativity might be getting in the way of the joy. And that opens a segue and allows us to be able to fully rejoice or to fully experience the happiness of the moment. So in view of all of this, it seems that the the egg seems to play a very prominent role here. In the food of Shabbat, the egg plays a very, it's it's not mourning, but there's a subtlety attached to it. It's something which typically was done for purposes of mourning, and that somehow serves as a segue into being able to rejoice. Which brings me back to the colored eggs of Lag Baomer. So Lag Baomer, clearly, is celebrated with such great fanfare and joy specifically because of the passing of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, which is a day of great joy. Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai said all the days of my life, I yearn to be close to God, to be knotted as one, and on this day I'm actually achieving it, and now my neshama is... 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 bay is bay bay." bay, bay, achidas, bay, bay, lehita, bay, hay, bay. my neshama is coming one with God and Rashbi during his last days said that he felt he would not be able to face heaven if he didn't reveal these final teachings of Torah and he taught the most incredible secrets ever revealed from the beginning of history at that time and as he was teaching Torah as it's described in the Zohar he was glowing like a fire which is the whole bonfire thing they couldn't even look at him and when the fire finally died down after he had passed they saw him with joy in his face and he said this is the day of joy the day of my oneness and communion with Hashem so it seems that somehow the egg plays a critical role in as almost serving like a segue for us to be able to experience the joy of Lag Bomer just like we experience the joy of Shabbat by noting that we lost Moshe Rabbeinu so we're not actually mourning but we're noting this we're noting that there's there's like two sides of this. There's, there's the Hilula Drashbi. We're not saying, yay, this is great. A tzaddik died. No, it's, it's, it's awful that we don't have the tzaddik's physical presence. But the tzaddik said we should be joyous. So what becomes the segue? What unlocks our ability to fully rejoice if not the eggs? And that is historically what Jewish people did. So we can see from Purim that there was this Jewish custom of coloring eggs to create it like some kind of joyous energy and, and there's, I've, I've, I've seen, quoted, although I didn't see the original, that there's a 1945 publication, I'm not sure if it was Talks and Tales of Akriya Vagadusha, but all of those publications were under the Rebbe's editorship. And over there is a little description of Bomer, and children going on a picnic lunch and their mother packing along colored eggs and the children asking the mother, why are we eating colored eggs? And she says, because the the uh, eggs are a sign of mourning, and by coloring the eggs, we're, making, we're bringing a sense of joy, and, and we're kind of like uh, making sure that we realize that there's no mourning for Rabbi Shimon bar but that, that that day has to be experienced and observed as a day of joy. Elsewhere, I've seen multiple sources indicate that this is also connected to the colors of the rainbow, where we know Rabbi Shimon bar during his time, there was no rainbow scene because he, so to speak, protected the whole world and there was no need for a rainbow, as it, as it says. And then there's, this, there's a story of a rainbow. So because the Talmud speaks about the story of a rainbow, so the colors, the, the, the pastel colors in which the eggs were, were dyed reflected the colors of the rainbow. And I saw quoted in the name of Rabbi Isaac Schwe, who was the, the, one of the senior rabbinical uh, personalities of Montreal. It was the the love of Lobavashadav of Montreal, a very, very tremendous scholar, who suggests that it has something to do with the hisapchas, the transformation of merira, of bitterness, into joy. So, eggs, which are usually a sign of mourning, by adding color, we're, we're turning whatever mourning was there, transforming that into joy. In other words, Not that if you're going to eat eggs, make sure they're colored so they don't look like mourning. But that the colored eggs specifically, pointedly shows how we turn what would naturally be a day of mourning, what would naturally be a day of sadness for us. Instead of commemorating this with sadness, we're turning what would be mourning into joy. And I think that through the prism of what what we learned about the eggs eaten on Shabbat, and the emphasis of them being colored also, because when it sits in the dafino or the cholent or the chamin, it necessarily absorbs the color of what it's sitting in, because it's being boiled, it's a hard-boiled egg for so long, it's, it's there for, for, for 12, 15, 16 hours. So as such, we can suggest that on Lagba Omer, we want to actually show and demonstrate how the morning has been transformed. And perhaps... Perhaps this is indeed the rhyme and reason behind the Rebbe's custom, or the custom which is very prevalent, it seems, uh, amongst Chabad and Karlin Khsidim, not only to eat eggs, but furthermore, to actually dye the eggs. But even eating the eggs has meaning in and of itself. The eating of the eggs as part of the repast, as we can see from the laws of Shabbat, because it doesn't emphasize the color of the eggs, just a matter of fact. The eating of the eggs allows us to transcend the morning, when it's eaten in that, f- in that style. In other words, the egg doesn't necessarily have to mean mourning, But the coloring of the egg is taking it to the next level in which we're transforming what could have otherwise have been something of bitterness and sadness into something of great joy. And this is a little bit about the custom of the colored eggs of Lagba Omer. And as Lagba Omer has now just about come to an end here in Toronto, I will end with a prayer. That in Hashem, very, very soon, we should see the fulfillment of Rabbi Shimon Yochai's promise that with his book, Yifkum Ibegolusa, the study of Zar, which means, largely speaking, the study of the esoteric dimension of Taylor and the celebration of Lagbaimir, that we would leave Galut behind and that in Hashem, we should find our lives colored in the most beautiful way. And when we enter very, very soon into a time in which there will be no mourning and no sadness. Only brilliance and beauty and happiness and joy with the coming of Mashiach Tzidkenu will be Amenu. Amen.